0: I want to introduce you today to 535 million humans that you may never have met and you probably know nothing about. Welcome back to the All Things, All People podcast, where we are talking to Christian thinkers or we're Christians thinking. I'm your host, Jeremy Jenkins, and today we are thinking Christians, talking about Buddhism. Now listen, before we get too deep into the episode, I want to put up a couple warning signs because learning and speaking on teaching on other religions is one of my passions. It's really the biggest reason why I started all things, all people, and it's sort of morphed into something that's become bigger than that, which is awesome. But at the root of what I do is teaching Christians to understand the world around them through understanding the worlds of religions, apologetics, and everything else. And so before we get too deep into talking about Buddhism, I just want to throw up a couple of warning signs. One, Buddhism much like most other faiths is extremely complex and there's no way that I can touch on what really needs to get touched on to, for a in-depth understanding of Buddhism in 45 minutes. And so there's going to be a lot of generalizations. And with eastern faiths such as Hinduism and Buddhism and Taoism and I mean there's there's a bunch. It it's it's hard to encapsulate Without using generalizations to begin with. And so here's another warning sign. If you're another religion teacher or expert or researcher, um, chill for a second, because like this is for people who want to learn about Buddhism. And so, like if you're a scholar, like, I get it, I love what you do, but chill. Okay, you're going to disagree with some of the things that I say because you know more than the average listener. So I'll tell you what, hit me up. Uh, Reach out to me. Let's start a discussion because I love the more advanced side of religious studies and anthropology. Uh, it's, It's what I do in the academic field. So hit me up. But you know what, though? Like, chill, though, for a couple minutes in this podcast because here's the reality for everybody listening. 535 million Buddhists in the world that amounts to roughly 7% of the world's population. 7% of the world's population that most Westerners, i.e., mostly Americans, don't really have a good understanding about. In fact, I did a fun little quiz on my Instagram, and uh, people were really surprising me with how in depth they were getting, people messaging me with their thoughts on the questions. But what it really showed is like we don't have a great understanding about most Eastern faiths, but especially. Buddhism. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to touch on the basics of Buddhism, but also talk about kind of what does Christianity have to say about all that? It's not just a a vacuum where each religion gets to be whatever it wants to be without really having to interact with the other faiths. So before we get too much into the show, if you're a fan, make sure to review and subscribe and share with a like-minded friend. If you ever want to reach out to me with questions or comments, email me at jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org or follow me at allthings.allpeople on Instagram. So without further ado, let's jump in and learn about Buddhism and what Christianity has to say about it. Okay. So let's start off with the basics of Buddhism and the Buddhist faith. The basics start with a guy named Siddhartha Gautama who lived in North India around the fifth century BC. So right away, if you're unfamiliar with Buddhism, you got to know it's pretty old. It's older than Christianity. And so it started in around North India, fifth century. Siddhartha Gautama was a wealthy royal. He was essentially a prince. And he lived a very sheltered life in a castle, in a fortress. And one night, as legend goes, he snuck out of this this castle and took a ride, kind of took a joyride to go see what the real world was actually like. He'd never really experienced it. And he saw, according to Buddhist legend, four things. And these are those four things. He saw an old man, he saw a sick person, he saw a corpse being carried to cremation, and he saw a monk in meditation beneath a tree. And so with those four sights came four realizations. One, in the old man, he he realized that youth expires, that, that life is hurtling towards something. And that, seeing this old man, he realizes everyone ages. In seeing the sick person, he sees suffering for the first time. He sees that there are things wrong with the world. And then seeing the corpse being carried to cremation, he sees that death is the ultimate reality of human existence. And he sees a monk in meditation. And he realizes that there might be something else. And this this journey, this chariot ride, and seeing these four things dramatically impacted Siddhartha Gautama. And he left his former life literally in the middle of the night, left his castle, left his family of which he would one day become king, left his wife and small son, and began to pursue a life of isolated meditation in the wilderness. There he developed followers and through years of meditation was believed to have achieved enlightenment. He spent the rest of his life teaching these followers how to reach that same state. And so, if you're unfamiliar, Siddhartha Gautama is who you and I usually refer to as the Buddha. And the Buddha essentially is just a word that means enlightened one. And so, the first thing you need to know is that the Buddha, being Siddhartha Gautama, is not the only Buddha. In fact, according to most Buddhist belief, there were Buddhas before Gautama and there were Buddhas after Gautama. It's, it's a word that means, uh, one who has been enlightened and usually refers depending on which school of Buddhism that you're in. And we're not going to get that complex today. Um, there are specific Buddhas who come along, uh, in, in certain generations and in certain, uh, dispensations of years, but that's, that's Pretty complex. So, uh, but all you need to know is that Siddhartha Gautama became known as the Buddha, and these followers that he developed, he began to teach them how to achieve this this state of enlightenment, and and it really boils down to uh, two principles that you may be you might be familiar with, um, but you might not be. But if you base if you understand these two principles that I'm about to explain, you will understand maybe eighty percent more about Buddhism Buddhism than most Americans, okay? Um, and so this is a great thing to have in your pocket, especially if maybe you you are traveling to South Asia, um, to China, where, where most Buddhists live, maybe Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Indonesia, um, far, far east, Japan. Buddhists live all around the world and primarily are focused in and around Asia. And like I said before, to speak about Buddhism is to speak in generalizations, because when you go from India to Japan to Indonesia to China, you experience extremely different Buddhisms everywhere you go. But these two principles are, are going to remain the same, and that's this, is that Buddha began to teach his followers that there were four noble truths that one needed to realize, to begin this path to enlightenment. And the first noble truth is this, and it's the truth of suffering. Remember when he saw on that that ride, he realized that suffering existed. He had lived a really privileged life and, and hadn't essentially realized that himself. And so the first noble truth is the truth of suffering, the truth of anguish, pain, The Buddha observed that our lives are full of suffering and struggle, and we do not find ultimate happiness or satisfaction in anything we experience, and that this is the problem of existence. So the first thing you need to know about Buddhism beyond its origin is that the problem it's trying to solve is the problem of suffering. So right away as Christians, if you're familiar with apologetics, if you're familiar with philosophy, this is not unique to Buddhism. Many would say that the the goal of most religion in some form or fashion is to resolve the problem of suffering. But Buddhists have a unique view of this and it continues on in these noble truths. The second noble truth, the truth of the origin of suffering. So where does suffering come from? see Christians, right? We would, we would probably say sin. We would say the fall, we would say our flesh, um, and, and a lack of desire for, for God. And, and, and it, you can go about it in many different ways, but Buddhists say that the origin of suffering is the second noble truth and that it's the natural human tendency uh, to desire, to crave. The Buddha says that, uh, the actual root is to uh, of suffering is to be found in the mind itself and it's our tendency to grasp at things um, and it places us fundamentally at odds with the way life really is he says that uh, suffering is brought about by the propensity that we have to crave and desire things um, and even feelings and the things that will perish away in this world and so This isn't something that to a Christian, um, or to most people in general, we would disagree with, um, but that, that this is the center and the heart of Buddhist thought is that the problem to, to be, to overcome is suffering and that that origin of suffering comes from you. It comes from your desires, your, your cravings, um, and not just your cravings for food, but that certainly is part of it. Um. But it's, it's, it's the fact that you are insatiable, Buddhists would say, and you need to strip away those desires and cravings. And that's the third noble truth, the truth of the cessation of suffering or the ceasing of suffering. To end suffering, one must cease to desire the things of this world that bring suffering and perpetuate the craving of more. Achieving this state is called, you guessed it, nirvana. So Buddhists believe that nirvana, not just a sick band from the early nineties that I was a big fan of in high school, I, even as a pastor and a speaker and all these things that I am now, I can say I was a big nirvana fan when I was younger. Okay. Um, if it comes on the radio now, I don't necessarily turn it off. Okay. But it's a completely different thing in Eastern thought. It's, it's the, the ceasing or ending of desires cravings uh, and, and everything that comes with it. And, in Nirvana really means the blowing out. And, and, you know, it's, it's a difficult word to define, but this idea of, of ceasing um, of, of the ending of cravings and the fourth noble truth is the truth of the path to the ceasing of suffering. Uh, and the truth of this path is essentially the second principle that we're going to cover quickly, which is, the majority of the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama, and it's called the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path makes up the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama and take one to Nirvana, likely over many lifetimes. We're going to talk about that here in a couple of minutes. But I want to stop and, and point out something right away. What you're going to learn in learning about the Eightfold Path and what comes with it, the life of a Buddhist, is that one of the biggest difference between Buddhists. Hindus, many other Eastern faiths, and what might be considered the Abrahamic faiths, so uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, is uh, and, and maybe not quite so much Islam, but especially Christianity, is that the emphasis is on doing right in Buddhism versus believing right. So let me explain. So the big word would be orthopraxy versus orthodoxy. Orthopraxy is right practice versus orthodoxy, which is right belief. And so Buddhists would say, it doesn't really matter. And this is one of those generalizations. It doesn't really matter what you believe. It matters what you do. Whereas Christians, we look at the writings of Paul, the words of Jesus in the gospels, and We see littered all throughout the New Testament that it's our faith that saves us and that works are a byproduct of our faith. And so we would say that matters very much what you believe. And so right away, when you begin to learn about other faiths and other religions, especially from faiths that come from cultures that are extremely different than yours, you need to begin to allow your brain to bend And move in different ways to try and understand the world through different eyes, because we um, are from a culture that very much places an emphasis on making sure you believe the right thing. And because within most, you know, segments of Christianity, our, our salvation is not contingent upon our works we would say what matters most is what you believe, but in Buddhism, it matters what you do. And we see that in the eightfold path and the eightfold path is essentially a summary of the teachings of the Buddha. And these are eight interconnected things that one must do throughout their life or lives to achieve nirvana or enlightenment. And here's, here's what they are. The first one, correct view, or you'll see it right view. An accurate understanding of the nature of things, specifically the Four Noble Truths. The second, correct intention, avoiding thoughts of attachment, hatred, and harmful intent. The third, correct speech, refraining from verbal misdeeds such as lying, divisive speech, harsh speech, and senseless speech. Fourth, correct action, refraining from physical misdeeds such as killing, stealing, and sexual misconduct. Five, correct livelihood avoiding uh, doing improper business, uh, trades or business that directly or indirectly harms each other, Uh, you know, diving into selling harmful things, um, treating uh, people the wrong way and how you live your life. Um, This is where, you know, maybe drug use and things like that would, would come under fire within Buddhism is this, this fifth path. The sixth, correct effort. Abandoning negative states of mind that have already arisen. Preventing negative states that have yet to arise. And sustaining positive states that have already arisen. Seventh, correct mindfulness. Awareness of body, feelings, thought, and phenomena. Um, so being mindful of the world around you. And eight, correct concentration. Single-mindedness. Concentration on the goal of enlightenment. And so you see in the teachings of the Buddha, you see these Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Path make up a large part of what is essentially the basics of Buddhism. And so Siddhartha Gautama goes out into the the wilderness, has this following and spends the rest of his life after achieving enlightenment underneath a Bodhi tree um, in teaching these people how to do the same. An interesting thing, though, that sets Buddhism apart from many other Eastern faiths is what's called the middle way. See, Buddhism is inherently a rejection of luxury, uh, of, of having things, of, of living a life of desire and, and um, the things that come with it. So, so the story goes, the legend goes, is that at first, the Buddha and many of his followers participated in asceticism or the punishing of their body. And I remember reading one time that there's a Buddhist legend that uh, the Gautama had had fasted and starved himself for such a long time that you could see his spine from the front side of his body. And of course, we don't know if any of these legends are true. And, And in all honesty, most Buddhists that I've met don't really care whether or not they're true. They just seek to find these principles and learn them from the stories. But what's what is interesting is that while Buddha promoted a life of detachment, remember detachment from the world is absolutely essential in Buddhism. One should be seeking to detach himself from the cravings and desires of this life if he wants to reach that state of nirvana. So while he promoted a life of detachment, he came to find that asceticism or the punishing of oneself only led to more suffering and distracted his followers from attaining enlightenment. So, so uh, faiths such as Jainism, which are extremely focused on asceticism. I mean, many Jains can actually die from the way that they live their life out within Jainism. Buddha looked at this type of, of uh, devotion and saw that it was actually detrimental to achieving enlightenment because it was such a distraction and it brought about suffering in the life of the devotee. So for this reason, he began, he began to emphasize his path as one of being a middle way between desire and indulgence and brutal punishment of the body. And so that leads us to this, this last principle that is, that is absolutely essential in understanding Buddhism. And it's, we've already talked about it, but it's, it's very intriguing to the Western mind and that's Nirvana. And as I said before, um, you'll hear it sometimes referred to as the blowing out. Um, Some people will equate it with the blowing out of a candle. Um, I've heard many Buddhists uh, say that this is an incorrect view of Nirvana. But here's the funny thing about Buddhists um, and and many Eastern faiths is they don't like to define things. And in, in a lot of ways within Buddhism and many other Eastern faiths, when you define something, you've really ceased to understand it, they would say. And so Nirvana is the release from the cycle of rebirths. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute because Buddhists do believe in what is commonly called reincarnation. So nirvana is the release from the cycle of rebirths, sometimes thought to be the the ceasing of existence even. So some Buddhists would believe that if you achieve enlightenment, is that you will not be reborn into another life. You will actually cease to exist. And so that's why nirvana is often referred to as the blowing out. And it's equated with the blowing out of a candle, because to many Buddhists, because this world, this life that we lead here on earth and in in other spiritual planes of existence, according to Buddhism, is full of suffering. And the goal is detachment of suffering from suffering then the ultimate goal of nirvana leads to the cessation of existence there will be no future lives and this is actually desirable to those within buddhism because they've led a life of detachment away from the things of this world in other schools of buddhism you'll find that um, there's there's and in, 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 I'm going to say heavens and hells because that's what's most easily understandable for many of us coming from a Judeo-Christian background. But that there's that there's places of reward in other spiritual planes of existence that those who have achieved enlightenment or nirvana get to go um, after they um, are finished with this life. And so nirvana um, is that culminating experience within Buddhism. But in the world of comparative religion, I I hesitate to to tell Christians to compare nirvana and Christian salvation um, for a couple different reasons. Really, one is because they aren't the same thing. And so you have to be careful when you're talking to a Buddhist about equating salvation and nirvana. Now, you can use um, salvation or nirvana as a bridge sometimes to, to introduce the idea of salvation in Jesus Christ and the atonement of sins. But we have to be careful in Christian evangelism, apologetics and missions to equate the two. Um, that's when you come up with something called syncretism, which is the sinking of two different religious beliefs and making them the same. It really leads to a lot of problems. The other thing is this, and this is why I discourage Christians from equating Christian salvation and nirvana. Nirvana is achieved through one's efforts. Remember, I said before, it's, it's, it's an orthopraxy faith, is that they have to do things to achieve it. And Christians are told over and over again, you cannot work for your salvation. And so when we equate nirvana and Christian salvation, we do Christian salvation a disservice. Along with that, my firm belief through my own Christian faith, but then also the studying of Christian scriptures, is that it's not the end. See, when we're saved, it's actually just the beginning. We, now we get to live this, this eternal life. And guess what? Even before we go to heaven, we get to live this vibrant Christian life within Christian community here on earth in the church. And we get to go and tell people, and it's the beginning of new life. Whereas nirvana is the end of old lives. And so they are two vastly different things. So there, so there you have it as far as just the absolute skeleton basics go. You have the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. You have the Middle Way and you have Nirvana. But one thing that I want you to know is that Buddhism did not just come up out of nowhere in that fifth century when Siddhartha Gautama took that ride. Remember, as I said, Gautama was in Northern India, which if you know anything about the religion really the religions of India. If if you know me, if you've been around me, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that uh, Hinduism is one of my specialties and what I study academically. And so I try and emphasize the fact that there really is no such thing as one Hinduism. There's many, 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 many Hindu religions, we'll say. So the religions of India, Buddhism was born out of Indian religion. And Indian religion, and we'll call it Hinduism for this moment, is full of these three principles that remained in most schools of Buddhism. And that is this, a cycle of rebirth, otherwise known as samsara, karma, which many Westerners are very familiar with, although we get it confused sometimes, and and dharma, which is just a word that means you know way of devotion. And so Hindus and Buddhists both believe in a cycle of, of lives, rebirth, um, based on karma. And karma is the cosmic cycle of in which what someone puts out, the works that someone puts out, will come back to them in this life or in lives to come. And that last part is absolutely essential in developing an understanding of Hinduism and Buddhism, is that it's not just what goes around comes around. Uh, Christians and Westerners mess that up so, so, so bad, is that this idea of um, what goes around comes around. And I would even say that, sometimes Christians have to be careful about, um, comparing it to the idea of, um, that which you reap. So will you sow? So there is definitely a similarity to, in the biblical teaching of reaping and sowing, but karma is intrinsically wrapped up in the cycle of rebirth, which means that what you reap, you will sow in this life or more than likely in future lives. And so we have to be careful about equating those two once again. Um, but Buddhists carried over that belief in karma And then they also believe in Dharma is the idea of you have a way of devotion or Westerners. We might call it religion. Um, And so Buddhism is extremely similar to Hinduism. And that's important to understand because um, while there are key differences they sometimes look somewhat similar, especially Buddhism that is, has remained in and around North India, Nepal, and Bhutan. Now, Buddhism spread rapidly throughout Asia and to this day really has a stronger presence in China, Southeast Asia, and Japan than it does in its, its birthplace of India. Um, if you know anything about India, it's, it's predominantly Hindu. And, and has a strong Buddhist presence, but nowhere near as much as some other Asian countries. And so this leads us to one of the most interesting questions about Buddhism, which is, do they believe in a God or do they believe in many gods or what do they believe in? I put up that Instagram quiz and it was so cool to see how many people engaged with that. And it was really fun because I asked a question. Buddhists typically, and I emphasize typically, believe in no God, Buddha as God, or many gods, and the spread on how people answered that question was phenomenal, and it showed um, really a diversity in Buddhist belief because I had a lot of people who really knew what they were talking about messaging me and saying, no, 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 because I put on the Instagram question that they they believe in no God, and I'm going to explain why I said that. But I had a lot of people who'd traveled to Buddhist countries who said, no, I've seen them worship other gods. I've seen them worship Hindu deities. Um, and then, you know, even some people said, no, I've seen them pray to statues of the Buddha. So they worship Buddha as a God. And so he, here's a couple of interesting notes that are important in answering this question. So yes, there are gods, deities, and demons within Buddhism. Yes, there are demons. There are, uh, in Hinduism as well, there are these things called uh, Vinayakas, um, which are essentially demons. These are malicious spirits that that have you know nothing but ill intent towards people and things, right? But there are also just, they're benevolent uh, gods within Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, so to speak, benevolent gods. I don't believe that they're benevolent whatsoever. Um, but the, there are these deities and gods that are present in most schools of Buddhism But here's the interesting thing. Most of the time within those schools of Buddhism, those gods, deities, and demons are also subject to a cycle of rebirth and karma. And so these gods, quote unquote gods, lower case G gods, are subject to the same endless cycle of rebirth that the humans are subject to. Buddhism typically rejects the idea of an all-powerful creator god. So here's a quick note about Hinduism. Most Hindus believe in what's called a Brahma God, which is, an, which is a creator God and um, all of existence centers around this God. And it's an impersonal God. Sometimes it's not even considered a God, but more of a force. Buddhism typically, and I'm going to emphasize typically, rejects any type of God that is like this an all-powerful creator god in which everything centers around. But it does have lesser gods, like I said, the deities. And so oftentimes, especially in Southeast Asian Buddhism, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, um, you'll see devotion towards these lesser gods. But that doesn't mean, once again, it doesn't mean that they believe in a capital G god like abrahamic faiths do so i make that point that distinction because once again we have to begin allowing our brain to bend a little bit because they don't believe in god the same way christians do they believe in these lesser demigods that are subject to karma and and rebirth just the same way they are also you know in relation to the idea of well i've seen them pray in front of statues of the Buddha. So they must worship the Buddha in the Abrahamic faith. We have this, we have this sentiment that what you pray to or meditate upon you worship. This does not typically hold true within Buddhism. Think about that for a minute. As if you're a Protestant Christian, like I am, you only pray to God. Muslims are the same way. They only pray to Allah. Now, Catholics, uh, to my Catholic friends, you're a little bit different, right? Catholics pray to Mary. But even that's a great example. Protestants often accuse Catholics of worshiping Mary because they pray to her. And Catholics would quickly say, we don't worship Mary, but we do pray to her. So you see, even within um, Western faith, Christianity, there's, there's deviation there. So when you look at Eastern faith, such as Buddhism, and you see them "Quote unquote," praying in front of a statue of Buddha, you have to allow yourself to wonder, okay, in that person's own estimation of their faith, are they worshiping Buddha or is that a projection of my own faith upon them? Now, what am I saying here? I think it is improper to in any way, uh, worship or, or pray to, or even pray in front of an idol of any kind. Right. But if you are trying to have a conversation with a Buddhist, if you are trying to reach a Buddhist, you need to do your best to understand what they believe they are doing. And they do not believe they are worshiping the Buddha. They are simply meditating. Often it's usually not praying to, right? Praying is us communicating with God. Oftentimes they are meditating in front of the Buddha because they believe that maybe there'll be a spiritual blessing that comes out of being uh, in and around that statue. But more than anything, they are meditating once again to empty themselves. They are trying to become, uh, to have nothing within them in that meditation. So it's not the same as praying. And they would be very quick to say that they do not worship Buddha. They are simply um, meditating in front of that statue. And so it's one thing that's important when you're trying to understand other faiths, is not developing what's called a straw man argument. A straw man is, um, you know, boiling your opponent's argument down to something which is more of a caricature of the argument, t- turning it into something that it's not. Um, And so that would be what we would be doing if we said, oh, you're sitting in front of a statue of the Buddha. You must be worshiping him. Well, they would say, no, that's not it. And you didn't give me time to explain what it actually is. Instead, uh, if you follow this podcast, you're going to find that typically what I'm going to attempt to do is develop what's called a steel man, which is if we are going to try our best to not just understand these people's faiths, but actually reach them with the gospel. We have to present their faith and the arguments that come with it, the way they would, and not draw up caricatures of it, not make them seem foolish, even though we believe they're wrong. And yes, even sometimes foolish. And so, so do they believe in God or God? The answers um, are typically this, More often than not, they do not believe in an all-powerful creator God in the same way that Jews, Christians, and Muslims do. But yes, they do usually believe in lesser deities, lesser gods, demons, and they typically do not worship the Buddha as a God. Now, here's where these generations come in. Some Buddhists do. (laughs) Some Buddhists do venerate the Buddha in a way that elevates him to a position of holding deity. So that's where you're going to find that variation come into play. And so all of this leads us to this question. And I think this is what many of you are going to be interested in. And I know that it's a huge encouragement for me when I'm around like-minded Christians such as yourself, which is this question. What does Christianity have to say to Buddhism? So maybe you're looking for an apologetic to approach a Buddhist friend with. Buddhists are difficult to approach with apologetics. I, I think you need to try and develop relationship with somebody who, who might be Buddhist. Um, but what does Christianity have to say to Buddhism? I believe it says some of these things. Yes. Suffering is absolutely inevitable. We would agree with that, but the correct way to approach suffering is anything but detachment. The correct way to approach suffering is not by detaching from it or the world around you. In fact, an all-powerful God ceased suffering, but did it by taking the suffering upon himself. Imagine that. I, my prayer for all of us is that we get the opportunity to introduce somebody who believes in the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama, to an all-powerful God who actually took suffering on himself so that we could see suffering cease. He wasn't uninterested. He was uniquely interested and involved in the problem suffering and still is to this very day. And while Christianity certainly does not place supremacy on individualism, it certainly does not forsake the individual personage. See, if you haven't noticed the teachings of the Buddha lead one to isolation, they lead one to, um, to stripping away the things that make them, them, and Christianity does not preach that. Yes, we do need to um, abandon ourselves and die to ourselves in the sense of we need to die to our fleshly and sinful desires, but God does not desire for you to give up who you are and the things that he designed you with. And so Christianity does not forsake the individual, but it also does not glorify the individual. You matter and you are loved. You are created in the image of the all-powerful God. And continuing to be a person, unique means you are still loved and you still love others. Because here is the ultimate sadness in Buddhism. It struggles in regards to relationships. See, when you are living a life chasing after enlightenment, which leads you to isolation, which leads you to detachment, which leads you to renunciation of the things of this world, not just the bad things, but even the things that do bring joy to us. You forsake the fact that we as humans are inherently relational beings. Yet the path to enlightenment in Buddhism removes one from relationships and community. And Christians, when we're doing it right, and man, sometimes we mess it up. Christians live with joy because we live in loving, sacrificial community because we worship a triune God who has existed for all eternity in community, a loving community being a triune God. And so if you have listened to this entire show and you actually are Buddhist or lean towards these types of beliefs, not only would I love to hear from you, but I would love to pray for you. And I would love for you to reach out to me or maybe a, another Christian friend that you trust with any questions that you have about Christianity. If you're a Christian listening to this, I encourage you, if you know somebody who um, believes the teachings of the Buddha um, or maybe some other Eastern faith, reach out to them and and, and, uh, and begin, a, now that you know a little bit, begin a discussion with them about what christianity has to say about those tenets about those core beliefs if you don't know a buddhist pray that you'll meet one i mean that really pray that you'll meet one pray that you will be given the opportunity to introduce someone who does not know jesus to the saving grace the saving faith that comes from knowing that he died and atoned for their sins and they don't need to try and detach themselves from this world in fact God desires for us to be in this world, be the salt and light of this world, to be involved in the affairs and happenings of this world because the church is the only vehicle for loving God-influenced change in this world. And so we should absolutely not be detaching ourselves from it. In fact, we need to be running towards the fire that is happening in this world at this moment. And so, as I said before, if you have any questions, comments about Buddhism, um, if you want to talk, if you anything, make sure to hit me up at Jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org or at allthings.allpeople on Instagram. Let me know any other questions you have about Buddhism, Hinduism. We'll definitely be doing some Hinduism episodes in the future uh, because that's one of my one of my go-tos. Um, but let me know anything else that you'd love to hear about on this show. I love talking about this stuff, and I want to hear from you about the things that